Welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. My special guest this week is Mark Pauline. Mark, could you tell us about yourself? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I guess for the purposes of this show, I have a company, Survival Research Labs, that I started 46 years ago. And uh, I came out here to California and saw there was all this excess technology laying around and decided that it would be good to put it to different purposes. And so I formed a company, Survival Research Labs, and that's what I've been doing. We do shows with machines and robots and uh, use commercial, industrial, military technologies to tell stories. Yes. And that entails a lot of tools. So I know that you have some great stuff for us. Um, so um, tell us about one of your favorite tools that you really loathe to lose if you were, if it were missing? Well, I think that probably just in terms of dollar replacement to ever find another one, it would be the uh, DMU-50V, which is like a five-axis uh, German uh, CNC machine. Okay. So that's, okay. you know, that's a, it came out of NASA originally, and then it was at, uh, it was at the Link Observatory machine shop, and they had a they had a guy who could operate it, but uh, he quit or got fired. And the scientists there thought they could operate it, but they couldn't really read the manual. It's very they're very difficult to operate. Or there are a lot of them made. Is this a is this a common? Oh, yeah, it's the it's the well, it's the premier DMG is the main manufacturer of five axis CNC machines, and so. Uh, yeah, I mean they're just they're just expensive. I mean the envelope is twenty by twenty by twenty inches, and they cost a quarter million dollars. So even the used ones cost that much, or is that that the? Pardon me. Do they cost that much used as well? I uh, use they're they're about sixty or seventy thousand, maybe uh -huh. used depending on the condition. And what do you have to feed it? Do your your normal, um, you know, kind of something that AutoCAD would generate or fusion? Yeah, any, yeah, you create 3D objects and you just basically, you know, you basically, you have to, that's the easy part. And then you have to uh, change, you have to convert the, the actual uh, information in the 3D part into a language that the machine understands, which is called G code. And then uh, basically it just makes the part. And it's very accurate. It has like temperature compensation, sag compensation. It uh, has glass scales on all the axes. So you could make, uh, for instance, things like nuclear weapons with it. There's right. actually a database the government keeps on these machines so that they're not allowed to leave the country. Uh, oh. uh, you know, basically they, uh, they're, they're ITAR regulated devices. Machine, wow. Machine. Wow, and really accurate in volumetric space, they're very accurate to within about a ten thousandth of an inch. And what kind of you can make really great parts on it? Uh, you know, it's just uh, amazing. All modern high tech parts are made on five axis machines, pretty much. I see. And what kind of things do you make with it? Well, I make uh, I make just crazy parts for machines. Basically, you you don't you just clamp something once and you can machine it from five sides. So that's very good for prototype work, which is the kind of stuff we do. We're not doing like long production runs. I mean, the longest the longest production runs for a machine I make is probably what I'm doing now. Is it's like 100 and 
30 parts. So uh, I see. So you can do it. So for something like this, normally, if you made it on another kind of machine, like a standard CNC uh, three or four axis machine, you'd have to build fixtures for everything and then move it around. In this case, you don't need to build any fixtures. You just basically put it in there and tell the machine where it is and it just figures it out for you. Okay, that's cool. cool. And, and, and say the name of it one more time. It's a Deco Maho or DMG, uh -huh. Deco Maho Gildemeister, DMG, uh, DMU50V. And I sent a link to a picture of one on the, in that uh, thing I sent you. Right. And um, how, how big would it be, just as a rough approximation for our listeners? How, the machine is about uh, 10 feet long and 7 feet wide and uh -huh. 9 feet tall. Not very portable. No, not really. It weighs like uh, 11,000 pounds. <laughs> but that's a smaller, one of our smaller CNC, okay. actually. So, um, so, Mark, what would be a second favorite cool tool for you? Well, the second favorite, I think, is this manual machine I got a couple of years ago. It's a Japanese lathe made in 1965. Uh, the, the one I got actually sat in a warehouse for 35 years after it was purchased. So it's almost new, which is very rare for these machines. It was one of the most expensive and most complicated manual lathes ever made. It's a 2516 lathe, but it's just, uh, you know, they really put every possible feature they could in this thing it's just a lot of really advanced uh mechanical features that make it just a pleasure to use it's just kind of unbelievable machine i also made a link to that i believe but uh you know it's just a great machine this one's basically new uh it's incredibly accurate uh tool room lathe and it uh you know it's basically seven pounds but it's you know you can really Remove material, but it's also extremely precise. I see. And it's just, uh, it's like a sewing machine. It's like really smooth. It has features that isolate the vibration from the spindle at high RPM. So you can get really mirror finishes on things, which is not possible with uh, regular lathes that don't have that feature. And um, how much would used ones of those go for? Uh New, I think about seventy thousand dollars. And used? How about used? Used now? Yeah. Uh, in the condition I got it in, probably about six, five or six. In this condition, I got it for free. It was given to me. A lot of stuff is donated to SRL like that. Uh -huh. uh, but know, if so. someone wanted to go out looking for one, they should expect to maybe to pay six or seven thousand dollars for it. Probably would spend years looking for one. Very few of them ever came into the United States because they were priced very high. The, the pricing was much higher than American lathes at the time. I see. So they very few of them. They really just came into probably, you know, uh, Fortune 500 companies or or research laboratories, pretty I see. much. Um, and, and are they very common in Japan? Yeah, you can you can look online. You can see people selling them mostly are in Japan, okay. South Korea. South Korea took the license to build it uh, in the late '60s and early '70s. Okay, and give uh, say that name one more time. The name of the machine. The name of the machine. Yeah, 
Ikigai A20. Okay. Ikigai A20. So this is sort of a state-of-the-art lathe and milling machine. Well, it's just a lathe. This it's just, very, just amazing to use. It's just one of those things. It's so it's so perfect in its execution that uh, you know it's just one of those machines that's just unbelievable to use. It's like you, every time you touch it, it's like a privilege to use. So it. why why wasn't the the general design replicated uh, in the states somehow or sold in this, if it's so superior? Well, it's, so rare. It's, a very, it's a very expensive way to make a machine. It's like, you know, it's not practical. They don't make they don't make uh, manual machines really much anymore, except uh, in maybe in Taiwan or South Korea, uh, China, China, poor quality ones uh -huh. in China. But uh, the real high quality ones, the only place you can get them anymore is pretty much Taiwan and, uh, and Eastern Europe and uh south korea i see okay they're very very expensive now you know they're in the still 70 or eighty thousand dollars new new okay so um so mark how about a third cool tool that um a third cool tool let's see i think that i put it down the third cool, really cool tool was this bridgeport uh uh easy path sd lathe which is a CNC lathe that'll turn objects 27 inches in diameter and 45 inches long. So you could turn a several ton piece of steel on it. But uh, just an amazing machine, really, you know, it's a 10,000 pound lathe. It's, it's a, typically, these lathes are called oil field lathes. They're made for machining heavy, heavy uh, steel parts. And uh, this one was in really perfect condition and I got it very cheap. So it's another reason I like it. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's basically an American made in Brazil, but uh, all fitted up in the United States by Bridgeport in the East uh, where they're based at Bridgeport, uh -huh. Connecticut, I guess. So, so this is another lathe. So why, and this lathe is better than the lathe you just mentioned from Japan because- well, it has a computer attached to it, so you can program it. I see. Okay. And then the main interest for me is that I can make really large diameter parts, and uh, you know, it's very accurate and very, very nice control, very simple control, and uh -huh. uh, just a few of the features make it really desirable. Like all the memory is in uh, NVRAM, so you can't ever lose the parameters and. You know, it has a bunch of cool features that a lot of things don't have. Uh huh. Okay. Very well. It's very well integrated, which right. is important for those kind of more modern tools. Mm -hmm. The computer and the the PLC programming is all done the right way. They're very sought after still. And this is uh, also another very large lathe large and heavy yeah it's about 13 feet long and about seven feet deep it weighs eleven thousand pounds okay so um how many lathes do you have in your shop i have uh one two three four okay yeah i have one hardinge lathe which is a very small precise uh, -huh. uh lathe hlv hardinge hlv 
and I have a, a Cadillac lathe, which is about the same size as the uh, uh, the same size as the Ikigai, but not quite as precise. But also Taiwanese and fairly late model, made in 1997, which is recent for a manual yeah. lathe. And I have the uh, CNC lathe, and I have the Ikigai. So right. that's uh, you know, for the, this type of prototype shop that we have here, that's kind of the minimum. Uh -huh. what you would need this is basically it's what I, my goal always is to replicate what you would find in a fortune 500 uh prototype shop right right you know, so you have, at the outset you have a favorite some favorite hand tools uh you know i don't really use hand tools much you know but uh i mean most everything's done on the computer you know computerized assemble things you know uh-huh just basic hand tools. I, I have a lot of them. I have so many of them. I don't know, thousands of pounds of them because we, uh, you know, I mean, the way we operate is there's just me here, maybe one or two other people. Uh, and there really isn't anyone here that knows how to use the other the CNC tools. We don't have anyone that knows how to do that. But, uh, but when there's a crew here, when we're working on a show, there's like 30, 40 people here at the shop. So I have to have many multiples of drills hand drills uh -huh. and hammers and every you know screwdrivers every every possible tool so i just have a multitude of them i guess that's my favorite thing about the hand tools i just have so many of them right right so i never lose them you know <laughs> there always is one at hand right right so it's, I, I, I you know my favorite that's my favorite thing about them is there's just there's a lot of them to choose from you always have the right tool for the job. That's yeah. the best tool. The best tool is the right one, the perfect one for the job. And you have a lot of tools are in that respect. Hand tools are not that expensive, so you can have multiples. Yeah, I mean, the, the real, uh, you know, the real thing that uh, force multiplier, I guess you could call it on the West Coast is you can get these really, really unbelievably expensive and in perfect condition uh, tools that I have been talking about for dirt cheap. It's very, very cheap. I mean, you really don't need much. You need some space. Uh, preferably, you need to have some friends who have graduated from MIT, you know, that can fix things, help you fix things if uh -huh. the tools break, you know, that's a real that's a real plus. What, 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 what you're saying um, on the West Coast are cheap. What, what did you have in mind? I'm not really sure following that. Well, uh, because space is so valuable here, like, for instance, the five-axis mill, the Link Observatory didn't know how to operate it. They couldn't understand. They couldn't perceive how to operate it. And so they didn't know if it even worked or not because they couldn't read the manual. Right. And so I heard about it, and I said, well, I'll take that away for you. So I got it for basically scrap value, but it, you know I got it back here it's in perfect condition. I think I've I've had it for seven years, and I think my total repair cost has been about twelve hundred dollars in right. seven years of use. So it's right. in very very low miles, but that would never happen in any other part of the country. In any other part of the country, they would want to get forty or fifty thousand bucks for that thing. I see. They would ever let that go for mm -hmm. for nothing ever. And so it's just because space is at a premium and, uh, you know, nobody has time to mess around with big, heavy things. They just need to get rid of it, you know. 
I mean, another another machine that I have in my list is another DMG machine, which is a big four axis machine, but that's, you know, it's a big, large envelope, 42 by 24 by 24 inch part can fit in there. But uh, that machine was brand new when I got it, it had 200 hours on it. The brand new, I have their invoice, it was $150,000. I got it for, for $8,000 from this company that could not figure out it has a German control on it. It's one of the <laughs> hardest ones to operate. Uh-huh. And they couldn't, they couldn't understand. They had a guy trained to operate it and he left and it literally sat for 20 years. They bought it brand new in 2000. It sat for 20 years and I got it 20 years later. It had not been used for 20 years. Right, right, but that's the and they just needed space in their warehouse. I see. Okay, all right. So, I mean, that's the thing. That's what's so. I mean, the only reason I could even do have a company like Survival Research Labs is just because technology is just just everywhere up here, and it's really cheap. Yeah. People so, do you it. have like a? Do you have like a, a plasma cutter? Do you have? A, I have a plasma okay. cutter. I have. I have all that stuff. I have every pop, basically every possible tool you could imagine. Any tool you ask me, I probably I don't have a laser cutter. I don't have a laser cutter, but then okay. you know I, I don't really have. I mean, I have more industrial tools. Uh, right. I don't really have like maker maker uh, space tools here. Uh-huh. Those aren't really relevant to what we do here. Right, but you would have a water jet cutter. You'd have a plasma cutter. I don't have a water jet cutter. Just you don't? because space. No, they just take up they take up a lot of space and. They take up a lot of like they're really expensive to operate. It's not, and I have a friend, and one of my one of my best friends has one. So whenever I need to get something made, I just bring it over to him, and he does it for free. So yeah, he has a really nice one. Right. So um, so what's your fourth tool then? Let's see. I think the fourth tool was the uh, DMC one hundred three V, which was the the fourth axis one. I think that was. Let's see. So that's one, two, three, four. Yeah, that's the fourth one. Another big CNC machine that I just was describing a little while ago. And that one's really nice just because it's new. I mean, it's just amazing to have a machine that's that well-made and that uh, perfect, but it's new, you know? I mean, it takes essentially, before anything ever goes wrong with these machines, they're all made to very high-level ISO 9,000 specifications. And so it takes usually 10 or 20,000 hours of use before they start to have failures that are, that really need any kind of repair. Wow. And so that's far past my lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've put, since I got it in 2019, I think I've put seven or 800 hours on it. Right. If there was somebody who was starting out, a young person had a shop, maybe they wanted to do prototyping they had no money. What would you suggest that they look for? What what lathe would they? Well, I would I would suggest that they move to Northern California because this is their tool. There's no place. Yeah, on so, 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 let's say they live they live in the Bay Area, and so the, what what should they look for? Well, it depends on what they want to do. I mean, the there's the problem with owning tools. Most of what I see, the problem is lots of people think they get a bunch of them, and then they have no idea what they're going to do with them. They don't have any imagination. You have to have an imagination before you have the tool. So that's what I would say to people. So make, and make sure you have something, make sure you have the kind of imagination that need the, 
that can use a, a higher level tool. Otherwise, you might as well just be a painter or something, you know, or mm -hmm. you might as well like carve right. marble or something. So he's, there's this young guy and uh, his partner, and they have, a, they have a project that they want to work on um, that requires a lathe. What would you suggest that they look for? Well, I would suggest, I mean, I would suggest getting, uh, I mean, if you can get a hardened lathe. A what lathe? Know, a hardened lathe. Yeah, I mean, that's the best you can get. a brand get. or a type? Yeah, I mean, if there's if money isn't an object, I would get a hardinge. Hardinge is a brand. Right. What if it's, money wasn't an object? What if, what if they didn't have very much money? What would you suggest? What should they look for? Well, I would recognize just look around on Craigslist and then lowball people. I mean, I do that all the time. You know, I just tell people I'll give them like 10% of what they're trying to get for. Most people... The fact of the matter is most people on Craigslist are just trying to get rid of stuff. They don't care how much they get for it. You right. know, I mean, there's always the people who are like, I'd rather burn it than sell it for that much. Uh -huh. But then there's people who just are like, okay, get it out of here. And those are the people you want to look for. You want to find that type of seller. And then you want to find a lathe that's of a higher quality. Like Japanese lathes are always higher quality. Never, ever, ever buy a Chinese lathe because they never are never work. They never work. Mm -hmm. You'll always just be wasting your time if you own one. They're made poorly. The castings are terrible. You'll never be able to cut a straight part. Mm -hmm. It's never going to have any rigidity, just mm -hmm. pure junk. So that's the first thing is exclusion. You want to exclude that. You have to know the difference between a Chinese lathe and a regular lathe. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, uh, you know, from the top down, you want to go for uh, China, Japanese lathes, uh, and I would say from then uh, Eastern European lathes with a like Palamco or various companies like that, and then uh, American lathes. The problem with American lathes is they're usually really worn to shit. So you have to be able to you have to be able to look at one and tell if you're not an engineer already, and if you're not really uh, a smart engineer you're not going to be able to look at a machine and tell if it's no good or not. You really need to find somebody, a wing, a wing person mm -hmm. who has that knowledge, who will go with you to look at it. I mean, I've seen people, I mean, a friend of mine who like was a, who was a machinist, he went and bought a lathe that looked really good on the outside. Uh, it was all painted and everything like that. He got it and they had taken and, you know, the lead, the screw for going in and out for the carriage the screw felt really tight. Well, after the guy used it for a couple months, it got really loose. He took it apart and they had just poured lead in uh, there, molten lead in there because the screw was so worn out. <laughs> they poured molten lead in between the screw and the and the nut. <laughs> and uh, it just disintegrated after a week or two. But there's people that do stuff like that. You know, uh -huh. you've got to know the difference between a, something with normal wear and something that's unrecoverably right. worn out so, so that's so, the other thing so that's uh, i mean american lays are great but you have to and you can sometimes find out here you can find them with very low use because there's no there's never been any real manufacturing in northern california for decades and so you can find machines that people have bought that like got used like in a repair shop for a little while you know and they're like next just about new and so, so, so if, that's, that's, that's what you need to do. You need to find that. But those are, that's my suggestions. Japanese lathe, 
Eastern European. And if you can get someone to go with you, look at an American lathe. But always you want to have someone who knows what knows how to assess the condition of a machine tool. Unless right. you know how to do it yourself, you've got to really got to get someone that knows how to do it. So and if, do it. if you were to find uh, a Japanese uh, lathe, a kind of a starter lathe, what's the ballpark that you would hope you could you could bargain to? Well, you could get a great, you should be able to get a really high quality, medium size Angelate for a thousand dollars in the Bay Area. Okay. Maybe less, you know, maybe 700, you know. And you just have you'll, to... you'll also be able to find, there are also people who would just give them away. I mean, it's not uncommon. Right. Just to get rid of it. Yeah, just to get it out of there. Yeah. Look on Craigslist, look on Facebook Marketplace. Those are the places you'll find them. Facebook Marketplace is a little bit, people are a little bit more know what they're doing on there. Craigslist is really where the dregs of people, the dregs of sales, people just, anybody on Craigslist just need, is trying to get rid of it. They don't care. Yeah. No, no, no serious people. Anybody who's serious about selling machine tools sells them on eBay. Uh -huh, I see. Okay. Is eBay worth looking at for that reason or not? No, it's not because people are always trying to get top dollar. <laughs> people know exactly what it's worth. And they'll, they will get exactly they someone will pay exactly what it's worth and yeah. no one will ever, you will never get a deal from anybody on eBay. I see. Okay. Plus you have to ship it. Anytime you have to ship a machine tool, you might as well just, you might as well just throw your money out the car window on the freeway. Right. Never, ever buy anything that you can't look at ever, right. never. And how do you transport a lathe? Since we're getting into the nitty gritty here, do you? Uh, you uh, can rent a you can rent a flatbed from U-Haul for about a hundred seventy five hundred dollars a day, and you know you get a mileage charge. But Bay Area, it's you know really yeah. cheap. I feel you don't ever want to. You always have you have to have a forklift to move them, but renting forklifts is just a phone call. You know, you just say, "Hey, I need this forklift here," and just tell them you know how to drive it. Yeah. If you don't know how to drive it, then try to find, don't ever move a forklift without some, someone who knows how to move heavy equipment or you'll just wreck the forklift. I mean, you'll just wreck the lathe. Yeah. 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 You know, so, so this is all a great, great uh, advice, Mark. Thank you for, for this. Uh, in the few minutes we have remaining, what, what, what's your um, current project or passion that you'd like to share? What are you up to? Well, what I'm doing right now is we sort of, you know, we kind of turned from a, you know, th a thing that I supported and in, we've been supported by a couple of very, uh, you know, people who are really, really lovers of SRL who have a lot of money. So they've been supporting us for the last uh, couple of years. So I don't really have to work. So I just have been working full time on SRL stuff. We're trying to find a location right now. We've been trying for a year and a half. Unfortunately, my reputation is precedes me. And so now people use they you say Mark Pauline or Survivors with Laboratories, they go online, they find 10,000 batshit crazy things that you've done or seen. They, you know, it's all there, just like they like your like your parents told you if you're young enough, be careful what you put on the web because it'll never go away. Well, we kind of have got uh since not since we've started our first website in 
1992, we've uh, accumulated a lot of, uh, I mean, successful uh, promotional stuff, but very negative in terms of like uh, getting people to let you use their property for a show. So that's yeah. uh, that's a problem. You know, we haven't had much luck talking people into letting us use their property, but uh, I've been rebuilding older machines. I've been finishing up one of the most, most complicated machine I've ever made, which is the, uh, the Predator Arm, which is a machine that uses a couple of Intel RealSense uh, 3D mapping cameras to analyze what people are doing in front of it, pl plot out an attack. You know, we've got like an AI, very, very simple AI program that plots out an attack and decides who's the victim and then, you know, as a cascade of algorithms, it goes through and it chooses a victim and then it tracks that victim and tries to kill them. And so it fires out an arm, the predator arm, out at about, I've got a poppet valve thing I invented that fires out this 50 pound arm, uh, accelerates it from a, from, a, from a stationary to 70 miles an hour in about a, a millisecond. Wow. It's a lot of energy. It's got the, the energy of... Uh, uh, 600 psi one uh, cubic liter of gas at 600 psi whatever that amount of energy is that's released 600 release psi is crazy it's crazy high yeah so uh so that smashes into a bulletproof enclosure in front of it and uh you know waits until you turn your face or something or even if you blink, we've got a couple of different algorithms that it can wait for to decide if you start talking to somebody else <laughs> after it's tracked you for a certain time, it just uh -huh. fires somewhere between your face and your knees and your, you know, in a 120 degree cone in front of the machine. So that's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a little bit more work on the software, but it works pretty good now. I mean, it's, it's robust, uh, I mean, we fired it about uh, 70 or 80 times into this Lexan sheet uh -huh. uh, in the enclosure, and it is no sign of wear yet at all. You know, it's got Teflon what? fingertips, so it doesn't mar the Lexan. And wow, that's really cool. Pretty interesting. It would kill you if it wasn't if it wasn't enclosed. It would kill you instantly. So, <laughs> you know. I, I mean, when I when I talk to the client, uh, who's the CEO of one of the big tech companies, one of the biggest tech companies in the Bay Area. I said, I want to make a machine. He goes, I want to buy one of your machines. I said, okay, I'll make a machine that tries to kill people, <laughs> you know, hunts people and tries to kill them. He goes, ah, it's a great idea. So yeah, so that's a, that's been, I probably put about three or 4,000 hours of time into that. Wow. Well, it was looking... a perfect project to go spend a lot of time on during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I had lots of, I spent... <laughs> thousands of hours in here working on it and but, does it have a name does your uh, predatory robot it's just have a, a name? predator arm predator arm okay yeah, the name for all these machines is very perfunctory so yeah it goes along with the tradition but that's a good one right now i'm putting uh there's a machine called the screw machine that runs on these big steel screws that actually made in the 80s but i rebuilt that and then uh the problem is it runs on these screws with wheels on the perimeter, like an Omni wheel. But uh, the problem is, is that it hammers the concrete or any surface it's on. So my solution uh, is to double the wheel count by putting wheels in between the other wheels on the back side of the screw. Uh -huh. So I'm making, I made 134 three inch diameter steel wheels and the other parts that are required, I have to weld them onto the, 
to the uh, spiral, the screw spiral. So that's what I'm doing just today. You know, I'm finishing up. I have like 30 more left. Wow, wow, wow. I look forward to that. I hope that you find um, a property to run your show on and uh, let everybody know. Um, I'd love to see it. We'll find some suckers someday. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what we really need is we need like an arts. We used to have arts institutions that would help us do that. And now they don't really they don't really want to hear about it anymore. So we we're kind of on our own looking for it. And, you know, that makes it a little bit less. Uh, and you can't do it at Burning Man? Burning Man doesn't work? You can't do it at uh, Burning Man? They never allow us out there. Oh, really? No. They're, most of the machines I have here violate the rules for what you're allowed to have out there. Uh, I see. And so I would be able to only do SRL light out there, and I don't really do that. So Okay. Plus, it's just too hippy-dippy for me. I'm really not. <laughs> I mean, I went to, like, pop festivals and when I was a teenager, you know, and I don't really need to go to those kind of things anymore. I think I still have acid flashbacks for those kind of events. Well, um, I hope that you do find a, a grounds to, to run your show on and um, let us know. Thank you for taking yeah. time and sharing um, your tools with Thank the cool you. tools with everyone. We really appreciate it. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the cool tools show and tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel we're, we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can Deal with it in a couple minutes, and every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag? We have one that goes out to um, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website um, and they are also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan. And um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. We give thanks to this week's patrons who include Phil King, John Wood, Matthew Robbins, Spike Yakwa, Dave, 
Sean Hartley, David Long, Matt Gromis, David Bouquet, Les Howard, and Adam Bristol. Thank you each one for your support. We appreciate it.